0: Banning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia.
1: Not only is it episode 172 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, but is the time that all nerds rejoice. It is time the week of San Diego comic-con 2017
2: and of course you're getting ready to leave Virginia and head towards San Diego James and uh, you know I hope you have a safe flight for people who don't know when he's gone he's leaving me the keys to the uh, to the studio when he's gone
1: That's right so you know we'll both review two new comics coming up and what we're reading but then I'm I'm on the plane man of course when you guys hear this it'll always it'll already be Friday the con will already be going. But, you know, for the intent, you know, we always record parts of the show earlier on in the week, and this is one of those instances. So I'll be here for the next segment, and then Nick will take over. And then at the end of the show, what we're planning on doing is, you know, a little something maybe from the con itself.
2: Exactly. But, you know, I mean, it's going to be pretty exciting, man. It's going to be your first time actually going to the convention. So what are some things you're looking forward to the most?
1: Actually some of the things I'm looking forward to the most is just seeing the the grandeur of it all. You know, you walk in there and you know we've been to cons before and you know y- you think obviously because it's San Diego that this is going to be, you know, way beyond anything that we've seen before, but at the same time I just want to see how how high is that bar, you know what I mean? I mean, we've seen some pretty cool stuff in other cons, but if this is if this is the mother of all cons, then I'm I'm waiting to see if it's that big, huge, grandeur, and I'm just waiting to see how many people, just in general, in the general area, are really going to be packed around this place. Because from what I've heard from other people and from stuff that I've seen, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be pretty crowded, man.
2: Dude, your legs are going to be so swollen by the end of this <laughs> convention. So sorry. You're going to come back. You're going to have like the rocks thighs basically just from walking everywhere.
1: I know that wouldn't uh, hurt my wife's feelings, I could tell
2: you.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, I know that there's going to be a lot of lost sleep, but it's going to be a lot of good times. You know, going to get to, you know, see a lot of people that we know and then, you know, maybe meet some new people. And we're not going to reveal any of the stuff that we've got. Going on during the con until after it's already over, first of all, because I don't want to jinx it, and second of all, because you know we want you guys to be surprised too at the stuff that we've got covered, and also you know make sure you're following our coverage on our Facebook page, facebook.com down and nerdy at down and nerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram. We'll be not, we'll obviously be live tweeting like we do every year, but we're going to have some other surprises as well as we go along.
2: You know, we were talking about this off mic the other night, and you know how James when it comes to parties he's the guy that is he's basically Strickland so the yep. fact that he's not doing a Strickland cosplay and going to a party and just having his hands on his hips the entire time is kind of uh, disappointing
1: I, I will say this much I'm going to two yeah I don't know how that's gonna happen and how that's gonna work out
2: but <laughs> I am going to two I'm gonna talk to you in the next time you be like so how's the parties oh I didn't go like <laughs> Well, you know, there's always that chance.
1: But I, that's not that's not the plan, anyway. That that is not the plan. I mean, you know me, though. I'm a man of my word. If I say, if I RSVP and say I'm going to be somewhere, I do go. So that, that is, I, there there is that.
2: That is true. And speaking of RSVPing somewhere and being where he's actually said he's going to be, James is going to be still sticking around for a little bit because we have what reading that's coming up next.
1: This is Abby Darkstar, and you're listening
0: to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, folks, it's that time we pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week. And James, I believe, is in security getting his dick patted down right now. So while well, he's getting a nice little one-two pat down from uh, the friendly blue shirts over at the airport, I'm going to discuss ducktails, of course, from are the fine folks over at IDW. Now, this is a take on the new upcoming DuckTales Disney XD show, and as most Disney comics are, this has, of course, two different stories. There's story A, which is called Big Trouble at Little Lake, and then there's story B, which is called The Repeating Revenge of the Screaming Duck. Now, the first story is written by Joe Carmanga. Layouts are done by Paolo Campanotti. Pencils are done by Andrew Greppi. Inks done by Roberto Zenoda. Colors done by Dario Calabria, and letters done by Tom B. Long. And it's for the story B, which is the second f- story in this book. It's pretty much the same art team and stuff like that, but just a couple of people are switched out. Now, the first story deals with Don Duck is given these fairy tours and everything like that. He's given this whole idea of Little Lake and what the history is. And what's funny about Carmagno's writing is He puts in something that a lot of people, especially if you've been on a tour before, encounter, and that is you have the tour guide saying all these statistics and all these facts about this place you're going through. And, of course, there's got to be that one person that goes, well, this was this and this was that, and they're trying to kind of, you know, out of excitement and not really much out out of being a jerk, says, oh, well, this is this. And they're stomping all over Donald's tour, And so it's pretty funny to see how the interaction between him and that person is and also kind of what Huey, Louie, and Dewey do in this. And the fact that they have this whole thing, you know, plan of we want to do this. You know, we want this secret plan. We want to go rowing and stuff like that. And, of course, Donald being the guardian in this is basically saying, oh, yes, you can do this, but there's a catch. And, of course, that catch always makes – you know, the activity that the boys want to do, a hundred times more boring. And there are some things that happen later on in the story which are pretty hilarious. And then you get to the second story, which is very much of a, a Hitchcock story. It's basically really, really funny. The boys are in this kind of mansion, this haunted mansion, if you will. And Donald's basically the new innkeeper, if you will. And so the boys are going around, and then there's something scary that happens, and... It's really, really funny. Both stories are really, really funny, especially what they do in the second story and scaring and trying to scare Donald. It's really, really hilarious. It's stuff that I used to do with my dad all the time, so it really brought back those childhood memories. As far as the art goes, it's if you've seen the trailer for the new show, it's dead set on that same art style. There's no bad art in this. It looks really, really great. Again, it looks like... It's something that jumped from the TV screen onto the paper. And even though in terms of the art teams, there's a little bit of changes in who does the art between the two stories, there's never that decline. It's it's consistent. It's great. This is a definite pull for me. This is DuckTales number zero, by the way. And it's really fun. This is something that I'm not only looking forward to more issues of the book. I'm looking really forward to the new show that's coming out on Disney XD.
1: Dude, I just saw that full body scan of myself, and I think I look like the logo from Westworld. <laughs> but with a goatee, though, right? It's not pretty. Let's just put it that way. It's not pretty. <laughs> Don't, ne- never look at it. If you're in that situation, never look at it. It's just,
2: it's, it's not good. So before you have to make that Home Alone-style panicked run to the gate, what did you do this week? Well, now that I'm allowed to turn back on my my tablet, I can tell you
1: that <laughs> I read Sisters of Sorrow, number one from Boom Studios. Of course, it's written and created by Kurt Sutter and Courtney Alameda, illustrated by Hyunjin Kim, colors by Jean-Paul Suck, and of course, lettered by Jim Campbell. Of course, you know Kurt Sutter, the guy behind Sons of Anarchy. So you know that this is going to be a little bit hardcore, but I got to tell you, definitely uncomfortable at times too, because basically it centers around a group of women at a, basically a battered women's shelter. It's a shelter for, you know, abused women. It's actually called the Haven House for Survivors of Domestic Violence. And it centers really around a character named Dominique, who who of course has had that tragedy happen in her life, and she's got a bunch of, of friends that are in the center with her. And right off the bat, in the beginning of this book, something happens. I mean, there's a game changer within the first five pages of this book. And let me tell you, it's graphic. It's uncomfortable. It makes your skin crawl. But at the same time, it it shapes the story big time going forward. And one of the women that's in the shelter has a brother. That's also going to become the central focus of this story. Because you know... If you've read the description on uh, on any of the websites telling what this book is about, if you haven't, maybe this is a little bit of a minor spoiler for you, that this is going to be about a group of female vigilantes basically. So, that all is a, the catalyst to that is what happens in the first 5 pages of the book and who trains them is this woman's brother. Now, his chosen profession is interesting. So that certainly adds a little bit to the story. And their first sort of target is someone from Dominique's past. And who it is shouldn't be a surprise, but what he does... ...definitely adds a little bit of intrigue to the story. And then it doesn't really stop there, because as the story goes along... ...there's a little bit of uncertainty that comes along with it as well. So even though you're seeing what's happening with their first target there's still a little bit of doubt there. And the dynamic between the team as well, if you want to call them that in this early stage, because this, this is very much a zero issue for that. Even though this is the first issue, it's it's kind of this is how the girls came together. So it's very interesting the, the team dynamic there as well. The art is really, really solid. I love the art with what, what Kim does with this. The only problem I have with the writing is while it's sullen, it definitely makes you feel the emotion, the intensity of the moments. There's certain there's a certain point in the book where the women display certain skill sets. You know how and can every team, everybody's got a certain skill set, like you watch Ocean's 11. Yeah. And you know that everybody's got their skill set. There's a couple of the women that have, like, have a skill set and you're like, okay, you really didn't tell me how they were able to do this or, or why they were able to do this and maybe that's not important. Maybe they'll get to that in a, in a later issue, but it's like conveniently she knows how to do this and conveniently she knows how to do this kind of thing. So it was like, you could have given me a little bit of foundation there to tell me why they're able to do this. I mean, I guess that's maybe nitpicking a little bit because it is a really solid story. I mean, and since uh, Sutter's been writing for Boom, I think this is probably the the most solid opening salvo Uh, of a comic that he's had so far, I think that there's definitely, this thing definitely has legs to it, and I think it could be a really good story, especially if because of one of the twists at the end, if they take it in the direction that I think that they're going to take it, it'll make it very interesting, not only for the story going forward, but for the dynamic of the group and if they're able to stay together. I'm going to give this a pull, but it's not a solid pull. I'm definitely looking forward to the second issue, but... I can see where the story could take a wrong turn. So I, I think it's definitely something that you should grab and, and read the first issue, and I, and I have confidence in it going forward. But I'll definitely know more by the next issue whether this is something that's going to be a really solid story or not.
2: And it's going to do it for this week's edition of what we're reading. But come next, well, James is on his way to San Diego, so that means that I'm taking over the reins. So get ready to talk about War for the Planet of the Apes with yours truly, Coming up next.
1: San Diego Comic Con 2017, a show that I actually watch with my son quite a bit. Teen Titans Go and it's
3: Robin himself, Scott Mendel. Scott it what's, is, up, man? what's up? I love hearing that when parents tell me that they watch it with their kids because there are stuff that are, there are little jokes that our crazy writers put in that are definitely for the adults that go over the kids' heads. And I like
1: that too because that's the thing about when you're watching cartoons with your kid and some of them you're like, oh, I can't believe this is on again. Yeah. Teen Titans Go, not only just because I grew up the characters, I'm like,
3: adults can stand
1: this. And right. that is that part of the. Brilliant to the show, you think? Uh,
3: I think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's we've had episodes about you know pyramid schemes and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know and real estate investment properties that kids aren't going to understand, <laughs> parents are laughing at on hopefully on you know on another level.
1: Definitely, and I love how Robin's the leader, but he always like tries to prove himself every episode. Like because when he they tried gave to give him, him no superpowers respect. and yeah. stuff.
3: He tried to give himself superpowers. That still haunts me to this day, Scott.
1: <laughs> when I see that, when Robin turns himself into a bird, I'm like, whoa, yeah, that's really freaky.
3: It was weird. There was also one, uh, maybe it was called "Let's Get Serious," where they animated him with a big, weird square jaw. I think that was the right episode title. They kind of blend together, but, but yeah, <laughs> oh, there, I there, can there, imagine there is some creepy, freaky stuff in there.
1: Well, I mean, you're going on almost your fifth season now. You're coming up on the five-year anniversary of the show, right? We are...
3: So. Season four is airing and we've just finished recording season four. So we've done, we've recorded over 200 episodes.
1: And that means you've already recorded the four-part special. It's going to be coming out in August, which has the longest title ever. Did you really think that that musical episode that you did before was going to actually come back into something else later on? I didn't, but it turned into a whole thing of its own. And
3: The Night Begins to Shine is an undeniable song, man. Like You, you, can't, you can't knock it. I mean, we got CeeLo in the show, we got Fallout Boy, we got oh, some, wow. some big artists coming in to uh, do their, their versions of it. So
1: It's funny because when I first saw that first episode, I was like, what song is this? So I go to Google, right? And, and I found it, and I was like, do they have it on Amazon? It was funny, when I found it on Amazon, it was you guys' logo.
3: Oh, that's funny. On the song,
1: so I'm like, really? All right, so this can't be an original song of theirs, right? And it wasn't, but I, and then I saw it coming back in this episode. I'm like, well, I guess I wasn't the only one that was having yeah. that reaction to it.
3: It's a pretty crazy story about how about the guys who wrote that song, which you'll see in the four parter. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a trip, and <laughs> it'll the song. It, it's insidious. It creeps into your head. Hinden Walsh, who plays Starfire. Loves the song and will sometimes just text me out of the blue, the night begins to shine.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, we're looking for much more Robin stuff on Teen Titans Go. Scott Menville, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you.
2: There was James talking to Scott Menville, of course, who plays Robin on Teen Titans Go. But we're going to go from Teen Titans Go to a war. And not just any war, the war for the Planet of the Apes. Of course, this is the third and final installment in this trilogy, of course, directed by Matt Reeves, who's also going to be directing the Ben Affleck Batman movie. And what I like about this whole trilogy is, remember how I was talking about on an earlier podcasts? give me a story where I could have seen how this could have been avoided and kind of go in that route. And the first couple of movies, they were going, they were showing you how these things could have been avoided, how this conflict between man and ape could have been avoided. And in the third movie, they kind of turn it on its head and say, well, this whole thing was doomed from the start. And they do it, of course, by showing you in the first film, Caesar rolling the canisters down that hallway with all the other apes, and they, of course, get smarter. And the great thing about this movie is the humans, you think, well, they see the apes as a threat, so they want to kill them. That's why they're going after them. Well, they turn it on its head in this movie. And from right here, I'm going to tell you, this is a spoiler-filled review. So, just want to give you that warning right now. It turns out that while the apes have been getting smarter as time goes on, as this disease spreads, humans become the inverse of what the apes have become. They lose their motor skills... They lose their ability to talk. And really you see this overcoming sense of fear over characters like Woody Harrelson's colonel character and all his soldiers and everything like that. And they are not painted as we are this evil group and we need to wipe out these apes because they're a threat and that's pretty much it and we're baseless. They give them so much substance in this. I'm talking about Matt Reeves and the writers. Give them so much substance in this It's amazing to see what they do. It's amazing to have a character, to have a villain that actually has meaning behind their actions. And that they're coming mostly from a sense of fear. And Woody Harrelson's character outlines this and he says, you know, they think they can cure this with medicine and with science, but we need to really cure this, the only way I think we can with is brute force. And what he does is he captures all the apes in Caesar's group, he enslaves them, and it's some, kind of some brutal things, especially for somebody who's an animal lover. It's kind of brutal just to see what they do. I mean, there are some apes you see in the trailer that are helping the humans. Interesting fact about them, those are actually apes that were on Koba's side and have joined up with the humans and they call them donkeys. So basically they are the grunts, basically, you know, if they, they are the ones that carry the ammo into the, into the attacks on the ape city, onto the ape uh, land, if you will, in the jungle and in the forest, and this is a movie that does not take its foot off of tension at all. From the opening scene, as I mentioned, you, you talk about the apes and they're carrying the ammo up this hill in the forest, and you see this whole Team getting ready to attack these apes in this ape village, what's great about that is you are wondering, oh my god, what's going to happen here? You do not know what's going to happen. And there's a variety of things. Not only did I feel for the apes, of like, oh my god, I hope they make it out okay. I'm looking at the humans like, okay, they're going to some very dangerous territory here. So it makes you interested in in both sides. You don't go into it saying, of course, later in the film, you kind of like, listen, I kind of understand what the humans are doing, but they need to be wiped out. They need to be taken care of. It's kind of like with Castlevania. You know, should Dracula attack these people, and should he be taken down and killed? He shouldn't kill these people, but he should be taken down and killed. But because he's evil, really. What he's doing is evil, but you understand where he's coming from. Like in this. Is Woody Harrelson an evil son of a bitch? Of course he is. Are his soldiers evil? Of course they are, especially with what they do in the movie. But you understand where they're coming from. You understand their fear in all of this. You understand their mindset towards apes. And Caesar, throughout this entire movie, even though he really is the one that started this thing has this mindset of I did not start this war and he's true for the most part because Koba did in a sense start it in the second film but if you think about it Caesar is the one that gave rise to these apes that empowered them with the ability to speak and and you know go in packs and everything like that and really build a village and stuff so really if you think about it everybody is at fault here And that's what's interesting about this. This is what's interesting that Matt Reeves does in this, is he shows that side of everybody's guiltiness, if you think about it, one way or the other. And everybody pays a price. And Caesar pays a price in this, and there's no turning back when his eldest son gets killed. And he becomes this ape who has this Koba-like mentality. And he even acknowledges it in this movie, where he's like, Listen, I have to go on this by myself. I understand that you have apes like Maurice and Rocket who want to go with him. They're like, you know, we are one ape together strong. And he's like, no, if you follow me, you're going to fall into your own possible deaths and stuff like that. Because I am basically on a revenge quest and I believe that I am not coming back. He's basically telling them, I am going on a suicide mission. It is your responsibility to take care of the apes and look after them. And throughout the movie, what this movie does really well with the apes is show that brotherhood, show that sense of community between these apes that you're seeing. And as I mentioned, they have all this tension. and they never take its foot off the gas in terms of tension. But Steve Zahn's character is really a great character in here, and he plays a character called Bad Ape. And basically, he is the comedic relief... He is this kind of ape where it's like, okay, we're going to put him in this funny hat and vest and it's going to be hilarious and you're going to laugh. And it's great because it does break up those tensions. It does do a great job of letting me, as an, somebody who's in the audience, sit back and be like, okay, I can relax and have a laugh amongst this serious, serious scenario. And it's kind of cool seeing the... Way that these apes act one another. It's really cool that how these apes interact with a child in this called Nova, and of course Nova being a character from the older sixties movies. And Nova does a really really good job in this. The the actress that plays her, and what the way that she does a great job in playing Nova is, she cannot speak. As I mentioned earlier. The humans are losing their ability to speak. She loses her ability to speak. And so all of her scenes are done through her eyes, through her emotions, and through her movement. And it's that simplistic kind of storytelling that makes it all the more awe-inspiring in terms of the relationships. Because at first, Caesar was like, she's a human, we have to leave her. Basically, she's going to drag us down. And over the two hours plus this movie goes that wall, that... not really hatred, but just... uh, I'm keeping my eye on you scenario of Caesar and Nova, who, of course, in this movie is played by Amiya Miller, breaks down. And you see him become more sympathetic towards her. And it's really heartwarming. And this is a movie where the way that it ends, I'm not going to spoil the ending because I think that it's just too perfect of an ending. You have to go see it in theaters to really... Enjoy it and really, you know, take it for what it is and how powerful it is of an ending. But when that whole scenario happens at the end, it really ties a nice bow on this whole movie. It really does a great job of wrapping everything up. This does a great job of where a lot of films, when their trailers or their trilogies, I should say, you know, they have this cliffhanger of okay, this is going to be carrying on. For example, the Dark Knight Rises. You had the end where we find out that Joseph gordon Levin's character, his nickname is Robin, and he discovers the Batcave. So what's going to happen from there? This is like, nope, this is it. Like, this is finite. And it's pretty easy to see what happens with the apes going forward and with the humans going forward. This is very finite, and it was really awe-inspiring. And I will say this, Andy Serkis does an amazing job as Caesar. This movie, this whole trilogy, if you will, really showcases why there needs to be an Oscar category for like best CGI performance. Because Andy Serkis' performance in this, just the technology, they, I believe they were supposed to release this movie a year ago. But they wanted to perfect the technology to where, you know, when you have CGI characters, when you look them in the eyes, and that's the thing, too, is a lot, this movie is based on a lot of close-ups, kind of like what the old movie was as well. You have that uncanny valley to where, even though you ha- you know there's a person who's voicing this and kind of going through the whole motion capture process, there you look them in the eyes like, well, that's still a CGI character. It's still a CGI ape. They get through that uncanny valley to where you look at that and you're like, I see a soul behind that. I see substance behind those eyes, and there really needs whether it's a technical award or whatever, there needs to be again a category for best performance, you know, for CGI because Andy Circus. Wow, I mean, hell, just call it the Andy Circus Award because basically at that point, that's what it is. I mean, the guy was Smiegel. He was Gollum. He's Caesar. He does an amazing. Amazing job. This trilogy, probably one of my favorite trilogies of all time. The way this movie ends, the way that everything goes, you give me characters, you give me villains who are you think are villains, but you find out you have a little bit of sympathy towards them, and you understand their motive. It makes everything great about this movie. This is 10 out of 10 apes with machine guns. And that's going to do it for my review of War for the Planet of the Apes. But coming up next... We're going to hear more from James at San Diego Comic-Con. He's going to be talking to another character from Teen Titans Go. Find out who it is coming up next. And also, Nerd News is coming your way.
1: San Diego Comic-Con 2017, hanging with the best of the best in the cast uh. of Teen Titans Go. It's Greg Sipes, Beast Boy himself. What's
0: up, man? What's up, y'all? We up in the house enjoying Comic-Con 2017. It's really probably the best one ever. This is my 16th year of coming to Comic-Con, I think. And um, <laughs> it just keeps getting better and better. So it's nice to be here with y'all.
1: Man, I got to tell you, when I watched the show with my son, he's mm. almost three, one of my favorite episodes personally was the Waffles episode.
0: Waffles, 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 Waffles. I got everybody dancing over here. You can't see them. But.
1: My wife is in the other room. She's like, what is this? I said it's Teen Titans, and all they're saying is waffles. So waffles, waffles, waffles. Do you get people just walk up to you all the time, just randomly saying waffles? Yeah. and having a good time with it. And
0: I know what they're saying, yo.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> now I saw a video of you recently on Twitter, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and Beast Boy was teaching meditation. Yes. To some kids in Texas. So if Beast Boy could teach meditation to
0: anyone, especially in Texas, who would it be? Um. If Beast Boy could teach meditation to anybody in the whole world, who would it be? Donald Trump. <laughs> I would teach meditation to Donald Trump. How do you think that would go? It would go well. It would go well. Donald Trump would bow to Beast Boy's feet and be like, you should be the president. I can't do Donald Trump's <laughs> voice. But Beast Boy for president. Beast Boy for president. But actually, you know, I'm going to do that in in, in a, another alternate dimension. I created a show called... Um, a foul American where Donald Trump destroys the world with nuclear war and animals are mutated and history is repeating itself And basically I'm going to show people how to start a real revolution in the cartoon But I'm also going to teach Ronald T. Rump how to meditate <laughs>
1: <laughs> Now we've seen a great dynamic between Beast Boy and Raven on the show yeah. many many times so do you do you ever? Uh, just kind of mess with Tara off the set, do you guys have a little fun behind the scenes as well with that?
0: I'm always messing with Tara. Um, I'm messing with everybody. That's my job in life is to stir things up, shake the tree. Yeah, we just have a good time, always.
1: I feel like I should be getting style tips from you,
0: actually, right now. This is a good look. Take note, y'all. Just be comfy.
1: Can I can I even pull that off? Is there of any. Of course way you I can. can. There's
0: myself? you can There's nothing you can't do. That's a good attitude. This to is have. true.
1: Greg Sipes, Teen Titans Go, Beast Boy. Watch yeah. the special, August 1st. The title's too long. We don't remember it anyway. Watch it.
0: Peace, loving animals, y'all.
2: Well, even though James is in San Diego and I'm all by myself, like Kevin McAllister, on a Christmas vacation, it's time to go around the interwebs and discuss No, no. our first story, I'm actually going to highlight a little bit course, D23 was over the weekend, and the cool thing about D23 is, you know, we saw, hey, here's the Infinity War trailer. Of course, they haven't released it, but we got an idea of how big this is going to be. They announced the Aladdin cast. Of course, Naomi Scott from Power Rangers is going to be playing Princess Jasmine. Will Smith going to be playing the Genie. You know, it's going to be really, really cool. All these other casting announcements they have, they showed the first... Uh, footage for the Lion King that John Favreau is doing, apparently that looks awesome, and I'm pretty excited. Here's my thing on D23, real quick. It's really smart what Disney has done. If you really think about it, outside of television for the most part, Disney was looking at San Diego Comic Con. Like, listen, we know stuff leaks, we know stuff gets posted. We're gonna buy all of Marvel for most, you know, and, and get take all the movies and we're going to take all that good shit, and we're going to show it and make sure none of it can get out because I'm telling you right now, it's one of those things it's kind of like something that upsets me a little bit is that somebody who was not at D23, you read about, like, well, the Infinity trailer had this, and the Infinity Warhead trailer had that, and Thanos did this, and he kicked this person's ass in it. And I'm like, man, it's kind of like when, you know, somebody... Gets a new bike. And they tell you what it looks like. And you're like, man, I just want to ride it. You know? It's, it's, that's what it's like, man. It's like being that kid on Christmas and they're telling you, I got this great present. They explain to you what that present is. But you're like, so, I'm going to come over and play with it, right? Like, your parents are cool with me coming over this afternoon and playing with it, right? Like, that's what this is. And Disney did a smart move, man. They did a smart move by just hogging up that Marvel Studios goodness and they all that Star Wars stuff, and that Lucasfilm stuff, and they kept it for themselves. And they're like, man, this stuff's not going to get out until like a month before the movie comes out. So it's really smart. What's cool, too, is they announced that, you know, they're going to be adding on. Of course, they're building Star Wars land at Disneyland. They're going to be building on some other things. They're going to be adding some more Marvel attractions to their rides over at Disneyland. And what's really cool, too, is... They're building a Marvel hotel and a Star Wars themed hotel, and you get this—you get your own storyline. How awesome is that? So that's really, really cool. But moving on to these other stories, a couple of these actually broke before San Diego Comic Con. One, I believe, I believe broke during, like the preview day on Wednesday, and one of them actually, a couple of them actually broke on preview day. And the first thing I want to talk about is Telltale Games. I talked about on a previous podcast about me playing Batman Telltale series, and how fun that was, and I liked how you can make different choices and all other great stuff. Well, Telltale Games is bringing back three of their best series. They're going to be kicking things off with a second season of their take on Batman. The first episode of a planned five-part series is going to be actually debuting, get this, next month, August 8th, which is kind of worrisome a little bit, because luckily I didn't have this problem. Well, I kind of did. I actually had one of the bugs. But the problem with Telltale releasing these things episodically month to month is that you're really not allowing, and they're not really allowing your developers to iron out the bugs and patch things up. I mean, there was literally a scene in I believe was the final episode of the Batman Telltale series of season one, and they had this problem called Assassin's Creed phase, where if you remember... The face was gone. It was just like a mouth and eyeballs. And that was pretty much it. It was creepy as fuck. And they had that problem. Of course, I saw it. some people, like Batman's cape when he runs, was like spiked and jagged looking. It wasn't flowing like a cape. It wasn't really great looking. And there were times where people would spaz out and everything like that. So I'm a little bit nervous. This is not just with Batman. This is all Telltale stuff is when they release stuff like this episodically month to month. Again, you're cutting down that Time where developers kind of like the ET situation. Well, not even though it's really not as bad, where you have these developers like we gotta get this product out, we gotta get this product out. And what happens is you skip over things as a developer, as a tester, you 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 know, or even sometimes you know you can be testing something and you don't catch it because the bug doesn't happen. Because again, not all things were affected. There were you know scenes where I was going on playing as Batman. He's running, and You know, his cape's flowing in the wind perfectly, and then I saw a friend of mine play it on his game, and it was all spiked and jagged and messed up looking. So, again, you rush that. That's something that I'm kind of iffy about going forward. Of course, some other games they're going to be doing as well is they're going to be releasing a fourth and final season of its critically acclaimed Walking Dead series, which I haven't played, but I've heard a lot of great things about it. I've kind of actually heard that's way way better than the show itself. And they actually care more about the characters and are more sympathetic, especially Clementine. And also, get this—they're doing *The Wolf Among Us*, which I loved. I I really really love. Of course, it's that whole fable series, which is great. It debuted way back in 2014, so we're gonna get more *Telltale*, which again is great. But my biggest hope is that I really hope that's not bug lane if there are bugs that they immediately have a patch ready to go you know or at least if they do have a patch or they're going to patch up their stuff that it's not going to take long it'll take like a day or 48 hours to get a patch out there and get it uploaded and fixed so i'm excited about that in terms of gaming and in terms of gaming of course video games don't have a really good track record when it comes to live action adaptations or really any adaptations at all that weren't the first Mortal Kombat movie so that being said Mega Man is hitting the big screen we don't know how he's going to be hitting the big screen it has been announced I believe if he's going to be live action if it's going to be animated I really hope it's animated because I don't know how a live action one would be I think it would be worse and again I say that knowing that these video game movies don't have a big track record and a good track record And so, Mega Man, 20th Century Fox is, of course, adapting this classic Capcom video game. And here's who they're turning towards to write and direct this. They're actually turning towards Henry Juice and Ariel Shulman. Of course, they're the filmmakers behind the documentary Catfish. They're actually in final negotiations to write and direct this. And I will say this, Chernin Entertainment is producing the project. Uh, They're going to also attach Heroes actor Masioka. And I'm not going to lie, I love Mega Man. The games are hard as hell, but I am worried about this. I think if you are a video game fan, especially if you are a Mega Man fan, you know, we live in a great era of television. You see the great Voltron show that's on Netflix. You see the great Castlevania show that's on Netflix. You see what streaming has been doing for animated shows. I don't see how and why a Mega Man movie makes sense. Especially, again, you look at all these video game movies. Of course, now a lot of them, outside of the Pokemon movies, have been live action. Of course, now I believe they're trying to do a live action Pokemon movie, I believe. But even that is kind of weird and creepy to me and and, and worrisome to me. So, again, I, I look at this stuff... And just how good television is. Because, again, we talked about Castlevania last week and how great it was. We reviewed Voltron on past shows. Of course, we being James and I. And TV is such in a good spot right now where... You know, we talked about this with Eddie Shankar a while back, a couple weeks ago actually, we were interviewing him about Castlevania, about how voice actors nowadays are really getting that credit they deserve, where, you know, it's now it's no longer looked down upon that you're a voice actor and you don't do live action stuff. And again, you're bringing in these people who do catfish, like, come on, you know, can you at least have somebody who has some sort of, I'm not saying you have to get somebody who worked in the video game industry but can you get somebody who kind of has worked within the sci-fi era, who somebody who has worked within this, you know, idea before? Because mm, it doesn't sit well with me. And, again, a big worry about this is, you know, the people behind it aside, video game movies do not have that great history. You know, if it was like video game movies had a strong history... Or if it was kind of like, you know, DCEU, where it's like, okay, these couple movies have sucked, but here's this movie which is really, really great. You know, and you think about it, when was the last time we had a video, a really good video game movie? To me, this is my personal opinion, it was the mid-90s with Mortal Kombat. And again, it was the first one. Annihilation was terrible, you know, it was really campy, bad writing, but the first one I thought was pretty solid. And... You know, it's been so long. I mean, Doom was a terrible movie. You know, you look at all these adaptations. And what was my big thing with these adaptations? We talk about, you know, adapting these video game properties. You hear people talk about, well, here's my vision for this film, stuff like that. I want to hear more people say that they're fans of this stuff and really mean it, you know, and, you know, anybody I think can go in an interview and say, oh, I was a fan of this character. I was a fan of this video game and this comic. And they can show up to a panel and wear their character's shirt or hat or whatever. But if they can say... You know, and go into it saying, man, you know, taking on Clown Man and, you know, this Mega Man game, I remember his, you know, world was really colorful, and that's kind of what I want to bring to this movie is that kind of sense of color and everything like that. Like, if you can go into those details, I think not only myself, but I think James, I think other people who are fans of these movies and of these games, really, I should say... I mean, nowadays they are pretty much movies because you know these cut—they have twenty-minute cutscenes and they're beautiful. But they have side—you know—if we can just hear a, a writer or a director or producer or whomever, head of a studio, or whatever, say, you know, i remember playing this boss on this level. It took me this many times to beat this person. Here's what I had to do. You know, and that's the thing. You know, when you talk about how technical video games are today, it's really important, I think, to stress that how deep your fandom goes beyond, you know, a possible, hey, I'm going to go to San Diego Comic-Con, be on this panel and get this notoriety of this person who worked on this film and did this or directed this video game adaptation, or this comic adaptation. And that's what I would really like to see. I really just, you know, I don't. it doesn't need to be done with all these comic book stuff because when it comes to comic books, you know there's history, people go back and read stuff, and of course, with comics, you have different series and arcs you can pull from. You know, you can combine this arc, this arc, and this arc, and make it all make sense, whereas with video games, even though a good amount of them work on a level where they're in sync with one another, you know, Castlevania, for example, we talked about last week, Castlevania, the series on Netflix, is more surrounding Castlevania 3 than 1 and 2, so... If you can give us that sense of like, okay, this Mega Man series is going to be based on the first Mega Man or Mega Man X or whatever, that'd be important. Again, just let us know the ins and outs of this. You know, and that's the thing; that's important, especially when you're pumping hundreds of millions of dollars into these films. That's something to me that's really, really important. And something that's also really important to me, of course, growing up, I played Mega Man. I'm big in the video games. Well, I also loved animation. And I know James as well, but James, of course, grew up in the 80s. I grew up in the 90s, and what was big in the 90s for me, of course, I know a lot of kids my age that grew up in the 90s, Nickelodeon. You know, Doug, of course. You had Hey Arnold, which, of course, Harold's getting another movie. I believe it's going to be a TV movie. They announced that Rocco's My Own Life is coming back for a movie, so how awesome is that? So bringing back all this 90s nostalgia. And they said, you know what? TV is great. We're bringing in all these you know, characters that people loved in the 90s and grew up with. Why not dip our toes in the pool even more and go into the comics realm? And, of course, one of their properties that was put into comic strips was Rugrats. And, again, this came out before San Diego Comic-Con, that Boom Studios and Nickelodeon have teamed up for a Rugrats series. And of course, the first issue of Rugrats, Rugrats number 1, is going to be releasing on October 18th. Man, a lot of good things are coming out in the fall. A lot of great things are coming out in October. And Rugrats number 1 features covers by uh, Jorge Corona, who of course worked on The Flash. You have Shelley Perron and Brandon Lamb, who did Adventure Time, Art Balthazar, Tiny Titans. And it's going to be really, really cool to see this. I'm really, really excited to see what adventures... They give these kids, and I'm talking about the Rugrats. And of course, this is going to be released through Kaboom, which is the imprint, the the kids imprint of Boom Studios. And I love this because you look at just all this great stuff that they're doing, all this rising and coming back of all these great things that we loved growing up. And they're they're doing a great job. And number one of Rugrats, the first issue, is going to be from award-winning writer Box Brown and rising star artist Lisa Dubois. And, of course, uh, the story's going to surround Tommy, Chucky, Phil, and Lil. They have noticed something, that they are being watched. And somehow the parents can see every little thing that they do. So they're going to have to find a way to have fun, of course, while avoiding the baby cam and stuff like that, which is really cool because, you know, Stu Pickles was an inventor, so is this, like, Stu's invention that kind of is supposed to monitor the babies and ends up being this, like, thing that they end up having to destroy because it's, like, this threat, so we don't know, and, you know, it's really, really cool, and that's what I loved about Rugrats is when they went on these imagination adventures, you know, they're, of course, mostly inside a house or, you know, of course, Ty would take out his famous screwdriver and undo the pig the playpen and they would go on this little adventure one of my favorite ones was they did a take on the justice league where they had like lil was dotted line girl and tommy was basically like this beast boy uh, kid and stuff like that which was great and chucky was the skunk character which was hilarious stinky i believe his name was and it was like i forgot the name of it but i remember they had they got their powers kind of like wonder twins but it was like they had, like, these teething rings. They had, like, touch the teething rings together to get their powers. It was hilarious. And I'm excited for this because, you know, I know I mentioned what the story takes place. But, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, I can't really see what other adventures they go on in future issues and other arcs and see where this goes. And I want to see, you know, we get stuff like a cat-dog series. You know, we had the movie a while back where they learned about their parents and stuff like that. Will we get a Hey Arnold series? Will we get a, Kab- a Kablam series? I mean, that would be amazing. I would love a Rocco series. Rocco is my favorite Nickelodeon's character. He's my favorite Nicktoons character. Him, Heffer, and Filbert. I can't wait to see them on the screen again because it's fun. I mean, it's so great. Just the especially as a kid, because I went back and I watched. You know, they used to have some episodes of Rugrats and Rocco's My Own Life on Netflix. I don't think they're there anymore, but some of the jokes they put in there, man, I, I got to tell you, wow, they pushed the envelope on some of those. I mean, my God, they hila- made it hilarious even more. But I'm excited about this. I cannot wait to see what Boom does with this whole Nickelodeon's collaboration because it's going to be really, really fun, man. It's going to be great, and I can't wait to see what they do. Maybe Boom says, you know what, let's put something on our, you know, boom, our main boom line for, you know, older people, like a Ren Stimpy series. That would be great, wouldn't it? You know, it'd be great to see that kind of stuff happen as time goes forward. But I'm excited about this whole Rugrats thing and I cannot wait to see what happens next. And who knows? Maybe down the line they say, you know what? We'll do a Double Dare comic. You know, and we'll do uh, Legends of the... Oh my god! Can you imagine they did Legends of the Hidden Temple comics? how awesome that would be, that would be so freaking cool. Not only would you learn something about like a f- famous explorer or inventor or whatever, or artist, but it would be like, again, I know they did a live-action Legend of the Hidden Temple movie where it was like Indiana Jones, kids-based, I believe. I didn't see it but from what I saw. I remember we talked about it a while back when it was first announced. Uh, you know, can you imagine they do that and they put that in comic book form, how awesome that would be? That would be really, really cool, I would think. And that's going to do it for Neuro News. But coming up next, of course, we have some more San Diego Comic-Con goodies for you. James, of course, sat down with, you know, he sat down with some of the characters from Teen Titans Go, but this time he's sitting down with the producers of Teen Titans Go. They're going to talk about the music, how they put that all together, some cool things they have lined up for the show. And also from San Diego Comic-Con, you know, I talked about how I want to build an arcade in my house one day. I want to have, you know, of course, your your Galagas and your Pac-Mans. But I also want pinball machines of mine. And James and I, we love pinball. So if we got to sit down, I should say, he got to sit down at San Diego Comic-Con with Gary Stern, who is the CEO of Stern Pinball. They have a lot of great pinball machines. You know that famous Ghostbuster pinball machine we've been talking about? He's the person behind that. So get ready to hit those flippers because it's coming up. Next.
1: San Diego Comic-Con 2017 talking Teen Titans Go with a couple of the producers. It's Pete and Aaron. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, not bad. So we've got the big Night Begins to Shine four-part special coming up August 1st. Did you guys know when you did the original episode Night Begins to Shine that it would actually end up coming back around into something like this? Yes. Yeah. As soon as we did it, we knew we wanted to go back there and do a bigger and like visit that world as much as we can. It was way too fun, man, not to go back. And it was funny because it's focused on Cyborg a lot the first time around. So in this one, I know you guys can't spoil anything, but in this one, are we going to get to delve into some, some more of the characters? I mean, since it is four parts, we are going to get to delve into more of their story with the night begins to shine as well? It's mainly it's still mainly a, a, a Cyborg story, mm-hmm. um, but he is trapped in that world. And, uh, you know, it, part of it is Beast Boy struggle to get him back. Yeah. Uh, and if we delve into anything, we delve into BER, the people the band that actually sings that song. I think you sent a lot of people to the Google machine for that one, (laughs) trying to figure out who the band was. I know that I was one of them. I was watching the episode with my son, and I'm like, what song is this? So I went up there, and what was funny was first thing that popped up was the Teen Titans Go logo. So where did you even find these guys?
3: They lived in the Warner Brothers library, man. We we score our own episodes, and uh, we just went rummaging through and found that song.
1: Pete found this song and used it in uh, an episode called Slumber Slumber Party. Party. Yeah. Where Cyborg plays it to himself before he goes to bed.
3: Yeah, just like twenty seconds. Of it. I mean, and it the, the like song is shit. so
1: good. Yeah. And we're like, let's use that. And then we uh, we wrote the episode just about the song yeah. and how special the song was. And then the world ended up looking so amazing that we were like, oh, we got to do go it back. again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just told that you guys have got a couple of guest stars. You get CeeLo Green coming up. Fall Out Boy. What made them the right choice for this episode?
3: Um, just fans, honestly.
1: Purr. Like, just fans. Uh, Fall Out Boy. We're a fan of the show. We're a fan of Fall Out Boy and we're a fan
3: of CeeLo, man. And they, were and, cool. and they were cool. They were cool. They came by cool. and did their so thing.
1: Make sure you watch the Night Begins to Shine special on Teen Titans Go! Cartoon Network, August 1st. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank Thanks for having us.
1: San Diego Comic Con 2017. I mean, you walk the awesome. floor, you see, you see so many unique things. But one thing that's near and dear to our hearts on the show has always been pinball. So happy to talk to your guys. Been doing it for a long time. CEO of Stern Pinball. It's
4: Gary Stern. Gary, how you doing? I'm doing great. You know, we've been here a number of years. I think eight years. But I've been here before that. Uh, and it's you know it's really interesting because we're the same kind of enthusiast for our games is a crossover enthusiast uh, for Comic Con.
1: Now, Gary, your family's been doing this what off and on for like 80 years. What do you think it is about pinball that's kind of stood the test of time over that time? It's
4: a great game. It is just a great game. Yes, certainly the games have changed, just like uh, you don't make cars with the roll-up windows. Uh, so we have you know, uh, more technology, so forth, our new LCD display on these uh, three games that are here, the Batman, the Aerosmith, and the Star Wars. Um, but still, it's a ball and bat game. And uh, as Harry Williams, a great uh, pinball designer said, the ball is wild. This is not a program like a video game. You know, if you do this, that's gonna happen. It is, you know, it is a real ball and bad game. Absolutely, and you talk
1: about some of the machines. As a matter of fact, you have had in the pla- in the past, we've got the Batman, you've got Ghostbusters. We'll talk about Star Wars in just yeah, a second. Yeah. That's a lot of brand recognition. So, what goes into
4: what kind of elements goes into those games? Okay. About a million dollars plus and a little over a year's work with a lot of different people, a lot of people's heart and in the end about a little bit of magic. That's what you need for a great game. I mean, you look at this beautiful
1: Star Wars machine that you have coming out, and a lot of fans seem to be enjoying it here at San Diego Comic-Con. What are a couple of unique features that you went ahead and added to that game for the fans?
4: Well, first of all, there are two LCD displays on this game, the big LCD and then a small uh, three-and-a-half-inch LCD uh, that uh, gives instructions, tells you what to do, shows you points, this or that. A lot of speech, a lot of video just uh, from the original series movies um, the, there are three versions of the game as in all of our cornerstone games we make three cornerstones a year with a pro premium and limited edition the, uh, uh, for the different market segments that we have in the, uh, in the premium and the uh, uh, limited edition there is a ball accelerator, the ball this metal ramps you've probably seen pictures of with a ball going around and around and around and multiple balls and faster oh yeah it's really very cool. Very, very cool. Drop targets, uh, you know, uh, just just all the things you expect on pinball machines. Now, we have three different versions, as I said, uh, because we have three market segments. We make games for operators who put them out in barcades and family entertainment centers, in French cafes, uh, English pubs, we export half of our games. It's very important to have games out on the street, as we say, so that we can interest a new group of people uh, as they get uh, the 20-year-old of today, maybe the 45-year-old that we have today, or the 35-year-old who is a collector enthusiast, uh, maybe a competitor with the IFPA, the International Flipper Pinball Association, and he may be what we call a rec room buyer, the third category, somebody who is uh, you know, just played pinball when they were in their 20s, wants to bring a game home, and so he tells his wife it's for the kids. If I'm ever in a cafe in Paris, I'm looking for one of your machines. That's what I really mean, am. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, I, I like doing market research yeah, in Paris. Uh, you go to a, a cafe and you have a glass of wine, maybe two. <laughs> then you go to the next cafe and uh, have a glass of wine, maybe two, while you play the games. And you have three or four of those then you go take a nap.
1: Okay, Gary, thinking about the future here, you've done so many great games already. Is there a dream machine out there that you're like, I would love to be able to do this someday? Yes. he's he's got a he's got a (laughs) wry smile on his face (laughs) he's like well we might be doing it so I'm not going to tell you about (laughs) that one
4: (laughs) of course course. but you know not only are we doing the terrestrial pinballs the the pinball machines you know the the real action and so forth Um, we have uh, apps and and so forth we work with Farsight and uh, so that uh, more and more people whether it be on their phone or their Xbox whatever uh, will be introduced younger people know uh, don't get to see pinball enough so now they they can uh, see it on the uh, on the phone and play it on the phone and uh, then we have a, a, a virtual reality version with o- oculus and so we oh, very with, with nice. a little bit of everything pinball now and by the way, I play VR pinball better than real pinball because I'm old and slow. And Joey, <laughs> ball
0: sitting, ball over, ball. Says,
4: sitting over here, tells me the ball is slower. And he's our marketing director. So any of it, um, but if I had a dream, it sounds like a speech, if I had a dream, that we would come out, and this is years off, but I'm this will happen one day, motor- a pinball machine at oh. the same time, uh, the terrestrial game at the same time as the digital game, with a locator and a GPS in the game, so that if you saw it on your phone, you say, hey, I want to go play that, and it will tell you where to go play it. That would be really neat. That's, That's a good idea. I like that. Day.
1: You know, The world is its all up in the cloud. It'll happen. I'm sure you've yeah. talked to a lot of pinball wizards in your day and seen a lot. Has anybody ever given you any interesting tips of
4: the trade or ways that they are just happening oh, they, really good at the game? They, many of them have tried to teach me how to play, but uh, you know, I'm old and slow. So, uh, you know, we do have great players, uh, and some of them work for us. Uh, and, and, you know, again, the IFPA ranks... Uh, 40,000 players in 30 countries, there is real competition in pinball. We, we hope to develop it even more, uh, but still the largest part of the market is just people having fun, casual players. You know, not everybody is a professional golfer, but a lot of people like playing golf. Um, and so uh, uh, we, we have to uh, uh, have fun for the casual player and challenge for the great player. Absolutely, of course you're at Booth 501 and Hall A here in San Diego
1: Comic-Con, but beyond that, where can people find out more about your great games, maybe even more importantly,
4: get one for themselves? Uh, check us out on our website, startpinball.com. you can see all of our games, you'll see a list of dealers and distributors, both in this country, and as I say, we export half of our games all over the world.
1: This guy's family's been doing it for 80 years, and that's why you need to come to him for your pinball machines. It's Gary Stern, CEO of Stern Pinball. Thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule at San Diego Comic Con. appreciate it.
4: Thank you. Thanks for your interest in pinball.
2: So, cool story. When I was a kid, my first pinball machine, you know, it wasn't the ones you'd see in arcades or, as Gary said, in French cafes or in pubs. I got my first pinball machine. It was a Power Rangers pinball machine. It was not the ones that you would, you know, we had little handheld ones. It was about the size, half the size of a coffee table. It had the bumpers. didn't have any ramps, but, you know, of course, it had the flippers. It had the sounds and everything and the scores and everything. It was really, really cool. And that's what got me really into pinball. And then, of course, you went to Chuck E. Cheese. You played all those pinball machines. Went to arcades growing up in the 90s. And, of course, they say the rest is history. But what you have to do is you have to, of course, if you are at San Diego Comic-Con, if you're listening to this during San Diego Comic-Con, Go check out Stern Pinballs booth. Go check out those awesome games that they have because I gotta tell you, they are some of the most beautiful ones I have seen. I have not seen them up close, but I've seen them online. I've seen videos of them. They are awesome. So again, go check out the, that booth and have some fun. It's pinball. It's a fun game. It's a really ga- it's a game that you know. Funny thing about pinball, you know, it has a history and there's actually a documentary, I believe it's called Special When Lit, and it's actually about the whole pinball industry, from the start of it to the day that it was made, I'm talking about the documentary, and it's a really fun documentary, it's really, really awesome, but again, go to check out Stern's website, check out all the amazing stuff they have there, and that's going to do it for me on this week's edition of the Don Nerdy Podcast, of course, James is going to be back from San Diego Comic Con. Next week, so we're gonna find out. Did he pull a Strickland at those parties he said he was gonna to go to? We'll find out. Who else did he talk to? We'll find out. But hey, you gotta come back next week as we're gonna recap everything about San Diego Comic Con. Of course, we have all of our coverage of San Diego Comic Con throughout the weekend. If you're listening to it the week that this comes out, of course it's Friday right now. So hey, if you're walking through the convention center, you listen to us. Pop us on. Where we walk through the convention center. It's pretty big. And so you can hear the entire show as you walk through San Diego Comic Con. But if you want more of us after San Diego Comic Con, if you want more of us whenever you want more of us and you want to hear more of us and just see what we're up to, be sure to go down to That's where we have our links, of course, to our shows. You can go back list to previous shows. That's where we also have links to our Facebook and Twitter accounts talking about the Down Nerdy Facebook pages. You can follow us there. You can like us on Facebook. Remember, we're at facebook.com slash downandnerdy. You can also catch us on Twitter at downandnerdy757. We have all of our updates, all of our panel coverages from San Diego Comic-Con. It's all right there. We also have reviews on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com that we write every week as well. We didn't do two this week because, well, James was traveling for San Diego, and we had to get all the prep work done. So we didn't have anything this week, but we will have stuff leading up to our San Diego Comic-Con episode, which, of course, will be coming up on Friday. You can catch me on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram at MerkWithOneArm, the one is spelled out. And James, you know, he doesn't have the Instagram because he's not one of the cool kids. But he does have a Twitter account. You can hit him up, James Ace Witham. W-I-T-H-A-M. You're like a smart ham, basically. So <laughs> you can find him there, have all his coverage. He's from San Diego comic people he's bumped into. He's put up a couple photos, of course. He met with, up with Kevin Eastman at Preview Day, a good friend of ours, of course, who's the co-creator of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And as always, everybody, be safe, Press comp safe comic greeting, always bag and board your comics.